Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of As Yet Unexplained. In this series, we will be looking at the stories behind some of the most famous mysterious tales of the strange, paranormal and unexplained. In tonight's episode, we will be looking at the unexplained destruction of the USS Scorpion, a US Navy nuclear submarine. Was it human error or an attack from an enemy of the United States? If you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing, or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. USS Scorpion, SSN-589, was a Skipjack-class nuclear submarine that belonged to the United States Navy and was the sixth vessel of the US Navy to carry that name. The vessel was lost on the 22nd of May 1968, with 99 crewmen dying in the incident. The vessel was constructed by General Dynamics Electric Boat, based in Groton, in Connecticut. The keel was laid down on the 20th of August 1958, and she was finally launched on December the 19th, 1959. The event was sponsored by Mrs. Elizabeth S. Morrison, who was the daughter of the final commander of the World War II era iteration of the USS Scorpion, SS-278, which also incidentally was lost at sea with all hands back in 1944. The Scorpion was commissioned on the 29th of July 1960, and Commander Norman B. Bessock was given command of the vessel. The Scorpion was built with the intended use of an attack sub. The Scorpion was assigned to the 6th Submarine Squadron Division 62 and she departed New London, Connecticut on the 24th of August for her two-month European deployment. It was during this deployment that the Scorpion participated in exercises with the 6th Fleet units and NATO member navies. The vessel would later return to New England in October and she trained along the eastern seaboard until May 1961. On the 9th of August of that year, the Scorpion returned to New London before moving to Norfolk, Virginia a month later. Norfolk was Scorpion's port for the rest of her career, and the vessel specialised in developing the tactics of nuclear submarine warfare. The submarine would participate in various military movements and war games, which meant that it would role-play situations whereby it would act as hunter to hunted. These exercises took place along the Atlantic coast and used areas such as Bermuda and Puerto Rico as the main operating zones. Between June 1963 to May 1964, the craft had an overhaul at Charleston and duty resumed in the spring, but was again interrupted from the 4th of August to the 8th of October for a transatlantic patrol. 
In the spring of 1965, the Scorpion performed a similar patrol, this time in European waters. 1966 was to see the vessel being deployed for several special missions, and after they had terminated, the commanding officer received a Naval Commendation Medal for outstanding leadership, foresight and professional skill. Other officials and crewmen of the Scorpion were also cited for meritorious achievement. Scorpion is believed to have entered an inland Russian sea during a northern run in 1966, where it was purported that the vessel filmed a Soviet missile launch through its periscope before fleeing from the Soviet ships. February 1967 saw the Scorpion entering the Norfolk Naval Shipyard for a refuelling overhaul. However, instead of a complete overhaul, the vessel only received emergency repairs in order to get her back on duty as soon as possible. In October of 1967, Scorpion started refresher training and weapon systems acceptance tests and was also given a new commanding officer, Francis Slattery. The Scorpion was deployed once more on February the 15th, 1968. This time, the Scorpion was sent to the Mediterranean Sea, where she operated with the 6th Fleet into May, and then started to make her way west for home. During this period, the Scorpion suffered several mechanical malfunctions, which included a problem with a Freon leakage from the refrigeration systems, an electrical fire which occurred in an escape trunk when a water leak shorted out the power connection, but these problems are hardly disastrous and major steam and leakage problems are not uncommon on US Naval or Royal Navy submarine deployments. On May the 21st, 1968, the crew of the Scorpion sent word that they were roughly 50 miles south of the Azores Islands. Six days later, on May the 27th, it was noted that she was late for her scheduled arrival in Norfolk. Searches, which eventually consisted of more than 50 ships and subs and dozens of aircraft, were conducted immediately. Despite the problems, there is no evidence to suggest that the Scorpion's speed was restricted in any way during May 1968. Although it was observing a depth limitation of 150 metres, this was possibly due to the unfinished implementation of planned safety checks and modifications. The Scorpion departed the Mediterranean Sea on the 16th of May. Two men left the Scorpion at Naval Station Rota in Spain, one Eric Reed because of a family emergency and the other, Joseph Underwood, was dispatched for health reasons. It is noted that some US ballistic missile submarines did operate from the US naval base rotor. It is speculated that USS Scorpion provided noise cover for the USS John C. Calhoun, as they both departed to the Atlantic the first time. It was also reported that Soviet intelligence trawlers and Soviet fast nuclear attack submarines were attempting to detect 
and follow US submarines going out of Rota. The Scorpion was then requested to observe the Soviet naval activities in the Atlantic in the vicinity of the Azores. At that time, an Echo 2 class submarine was operating with this Soviet task force, as well as a Russian guided missile destroyer. The Scorpion attempted to send radio traffic to naval station Rota, but was only able to reach a naval communication station in Greece, which forwarded Scorpion's messages. On May the 21st, 1968, the crew of the Scorpion sent word that they were roughly 15 miles south of the Azores Islands. Lieutenant John Roberts was handed Commander Slattery's last message that he was closing on the Soviet submarine and research group, running at a steady 15 knots at 350 feet to begin surveillance of the Soviets. The Scorpion completed its mission of observation and prepared to head back to Naval Station at Norfolk. Six days later, on the 27th of May, it was recorded that the Scorpion was late for her scheduled arrival at Norfolk. The nuclear attack submarine USS Scorpion, SSN 589, has been reported overdue at Norfolk. The submarine was scheduled to return to Norfolk at 1 p.m. today at the conclusion of a routine extended training operation. The Navy suspected possible failure and launched a public search which consisted of more than 50 ships and subs and dozens of aircraft. The Scorpion and her crew were declared presumed lost on the 5th of June at a court of inquiry into the sub's disappearance. Submariner Dan Rogers, who had transferred off the Scorpion just months before, was one of the people who was sent out to look for the craft. This is what he had to say regarding the search in a television interview. I think deep inside that I knew it was futile. I think I really knew that there was no purpose. We had, we had found out you know, how long it had been since our, our last communication. And... Uh, just <laughs> figured something had to happen. I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah, hope, hope springs eternal. Right. Uh, give me a minute, please. The ship's name was struck from the naval vessel register on the 30th of June. The public search continued with a team of mathematical consultants led by Dr. John Pina Craven the chief scientist of the U.S. Naval Special Projects Division. Additionally, some reports have indicated that a large and secret search was launched three days before the Scorpion was expected back from patrol. Other declassified documents have led to the belief that the U.S. Navy already knew of Scorpion's destruction before they called the public search. All of the court hearings were closed to the general public and some information is still top secret. A more than 1,800 page report was submitted two weeks after the investigations, which entailed going over the history of the craft 
with a fine-toothed comb. But the question of what happened to the scorpion remained unanswered. It was at the end of October 1968 that the Navy's oceanographic research ship Mizar discovered sections of the scorpion's hull on the seabed located southwest of the Azores. The Navy had also released sound tapes from its underwater listening system which recorded the distinctive sounds of the destruction of the ship. Beginning in the 1960s, the US military had constructed a massive underwater network of microphones that were used to detect the movements of the Russian fleet and hopefully detect nuclear tests. I think in all, in the course of the Cold War, we spent about $17 billion, billion. I mean, we're not talking small change. Big money to wire the world's oceans with these microphones. They had the whole ocean wired for sound. It's really kind of a cool thing. Technicians were trying to interpret the physical printed out lines that were received from the listening posts. Here they could determine whether the distant sounds being relayed to them were of ships, whales, undersea volcanoes, and submarines. It is this data that happened to pick up the sound of an unexplained underwater explosion. It was possible with this series of microphones for the technicians to triangulate the point of their origin. John Craven was the head of the specialist team that worked on this data. Craven stated in an interview that the Canary Island record showed a blip on the record which might or might not have been associated with Scorpion and then showed a period of 91 seconds of silence and then a series of about 17 events that could have been the implosion of various compartments associated with the submarine. What we expected was that if the submarine were moving on a track that the first sound would occur at this point and that the next sound would come ahead of this point, heading more home toward Norfolk, and the third sound would come this way, heading more toward Norfolk, and so on and so forth. But we discovered to our shock and surprise that the sounds were going in the wrong direction, as though the submarine had turned around and was heading back toward the Mediterranean. But what was particularly puzzling was the possibility that the scorpion turned around, a move that defied any possible logic. Although Dr. Craven was to receive credit for finding the wreck of the scorpion, it would seem that the information provided by Gordon Hamilton and his pioneering use of hydroacoustics would have a big part to play. Hamilton was able to record what is believed to be the noise of the vessel's pressure hull imploding as she passed crushed depth. All information was evaluated by the court. The investigation commissioned a report that was first made public on January the 31st, 1969. The report stated that whilst they were ruling out sabotage, the certain cause of the loss of the scorpion cannot be ascertained from evidence now available.
Whilst in 1984, the Norfolk Virginian pilot and the Ledger Star newspapers obtained documents that were related to the inquiry and stated that they reported that the likely cause of the disaster was the detonation of a torpedo. In the mid-1980s, Bob Ballard used his mini-sub to photograph the boat's remains. The scorpion was revealed to remain largely intact, and it was noted by Ballard that the craft must have been partially flooded before she reached crushed depth. As the scorpion showed little signs of structural collapse, Photographs and personal observations revealed that the Scorpion's tower was ripped off the boat. The water pressure broke off the tail end of the sub and rammed it into the compartment directly in front of it. None of the images were released until 1993, when the Navy finally began declassifying information regarding the Scorpion. Possible Explanations a hydrogen explosion. The first theory we will look at is the idea that a hydrogen explosion is responsible for the ship's destruction. Rear Admiral Dave Oliver believes that, based on his own experiences, that the loss was the result of a hydrogen build-up due to changes in the ventilation lineup whilst the ship was proceeding to periscope depth. In these modern times, a full analysis of the ship's battery cells has given this theory a lot of credence. Accidental activation of torpedo As mentioned previously, the US Navy's Court of Inquiry had listed inadvertent activation of a battery-powered Mark 37 torpedo by stray voltage as a possible explanation. The theory goes further to explain that the acoustic homing torpedo was in a fully ready condition and without its propeller guard could have started running within the tube. Once it was released from the tube, the torpedo became fully armed and successfully homed in on its nearest target, which happened to be the Scorpion. A hypothesized sequence of events based on training could also explain the reason for the Scorpion's turnaround. The events could have played out like this. Stray electrical current activates an onboard torpedo. This would in turn force the captain to order an immediate 180 degree turn, which he expects will trigger a safety mechanism within the torpedo and disarm it. Then the crew ejects the torpedo, but unfortunately it does not disarm properly, and the now fully operational torpedo is external of the sub and begins to search for a target. As Robert Ballard stated, If no one else is around, and that torpedo begins to search and acquire, it's going to acquire you. Inadequate maintenance. Dan Rogers was transferred off the Scorpion just before her final voyage. It is his opinion that the sub sank because of inadequate maintenance, which made the submarine unsafe. Rogers stated that... I really didn't want to be here. I was, I was really con that concerned about the condition of that boat, and especially the material condition of the boat. Rogers shared his doubts with investigative reporter for the Houston Chronicle, Steve Johnson. 
Johnson dug deep and found letters from other crew members that showed that they too were concerned about the mechanical condition of the sub. He tracked down Ross Saxon, who also shared doubts about the torpedo theory. Ross Saxon, who dove on the Scorpion and didn't see any evidence that a torpedo had sunk that ship, he stated that there wasn't anything on the on the hull structure that we could see that would suggest that the, tor the uh, shutter doors were shut on all the bow tubes. Uh, the submarine was broken up because of its trip to the bottom, but there wasn't any evidence that a torpedo sunk it. After many years, the team unearthed a critical piece of the Scorpion's past, the maintenance history. The hefty document was obtained via the Freedom of Information Act, despite the officials believing that they had been destroyed. Within the pages of the tome, which recounted the day-to-day -day running of the ship, they found that the Scorpion had been selected and was entered into a secret program that drastically reduced the maintenance that it would have ordinarily received. I obtained several thousand pages uh, related to the Scorpion's maintenance history from the Atlantic Submarine Fleet, I had sent out half a dozen requests under the Freedom Information Act, and it just so happens they found these documents that they thought had been destroyed. To save time and money, the Navy had cut back on Scorpion's last overhaul. The ship was in the shipyard eight months, even though an average overhaul would take up to 24 months. And they spent just about $3 million on it, which was a mere fraction of the normal amount spent on submarine maintenance. The torpedo theory seems to be extremely convenient for the US Navy because it tends to uh, detract from any other theory. And also, it, it, it tends to remove any kind of responsibility from the US Navy itself from any maintenance problems that may have contributed to the actual loss of the submarine. Explosion of torpedo within the Scorpion. Another piece of speculation is that a torpedo may have exploded within the launch tube, which would have caused a fire in the torpedo room. The Scorpion's Mark 37 torpedoes were fitted with the Mark 46 silver zinc battery, which tended to overheat. It would have been an extremely rare case, but this incident could have caused a fire, which would also have been strong enough to have caused a low-order detonation of the warhead. In experiments, 46 batteries have generated enough heat that the torpedo casings have blistered. But none are known to have damaged a boat or in fact caused an explosion, although please bear in mind that these facts were presented by the Navy. It is possible that there could be some truth in this theory also. Journalists Chris Drew and Sherry Sontag have stated that their research has revealed another disturbing Navy secret. Chris Drew starts us off. When the Navy released its version of events, that the Scorpion had been killed by one of its own torpedoes, I was working at the Chicago Tribune. This was a huge front page story. As it turned out, one man who read it had been an engineer at a torpedo testing lab and he remembered that they'd had all sorts of safety problems with the torpedoes. Now that it wasn't classified anymore, he wrote to John Craven to ask him how much of the conclusion that a torpedo was at fault 
had been based on all these safety problems they were having. Craven was floored. Although Craven had been the head scientist in the scientific investigation of the mystery, he had never been made aware by the Navy of the torpedo problems. Naval ordnance had insisted to him that an explosion of a torpedo on board a submarine was impossible. Craven shared this letter with the two journalists, and they started investigating into the story. During their digging, they uncovered that in tests, the batteries that power the Mark 37 torpedoes had occasionally overheated and caught fire. An engineer who had worked at this torpedo test facility and at a facility at Key Port, Washington, stated that they had warned naval ordnance that the batteries represented a huge danger. They said that there was no margin for error. They said that they could too easily partially activate and catch fire. Naval ordnance ignored them. Intentional firing of a defective torpedo. It is possible that the sub could have been destroyed by what is termed a hot-running torpedo. Other submarines in the fleet had replaced all their defective torpedo batteries, but the Navy wanted Scorpion to complete its mission first. The theory suggests that if Scorpion had fired a defective torpedo, it could have possibly missed its target and turned and came around to strike the Scorpion. Malfunction of Trash Disposal Unit During the 1968 inquiry, Vice Admiral Arnold F. Shade testified that he believed that a malfunction of the trash disposal unit could possibly be the trigger for the disaster. This incident would lead to flooding and other subsequent failures of equipment or personnel while they were dealing with the flood. Soviet attack. In the book All Hands Down, it is concluded that the ship was destroyed whilst they were en route to gather intelligence on a Soviet naval group that were conducting operations in the Atlantic. It is well recorded that the Scorpion was diverted from her original course back to her home port, but the actual details still remain classified. Former sailors have stated that they were aware that the Scorpion was being stalked by a Soviet submarine, which the Scorpion could not shake. These sailors believed that the ship was sunk by a Russian sub near the Canary Islands. So, for 50 years the families of the crew of the Scorpion have no official closure as to what happened to their loved ones. Does the Navy really know what happened to the USS Scorpion and are involved in some kind of cover-up? It would appear that on the face of it, that they are clueless to the reasons behind the sinking. This is evidenced by the many theories presented by themselves. Or perhaps they are aware of the level of neglect and negligence that could have attributed to its destruction. Links to our Facebook page and email address are in our bio and the show notes, so feel free to get in touch, tell us how we are doing, or even suggest future episodes that we can cover. Next week will be Christmas Eve, so I invite you all to come and sit by the fire 
whilst I tell you the harrowing tale of the mistletoe bride and the traditions of telling ghost stories at Christmas. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Daniels, 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 and I am the archivist for the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is a publication dedicated to exploring some of the strangest and most bizarre locations across the country, where hauntings, curses, cryptids and more have all been reported. I am now custodian of its archive and am gradually exploring many of the lost files in order to re-release them. You can find the case files which are now available at occultariaofalbion.com The Occultaria of Albion can also be found on YouTube and as a podcast. Go deeper and join the fan club for exclusive content. Go to patreon.com forward slash occultaria. Remain vigilant and remember the wolves of weird. Oh, loose.